Right, our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Psalm 95. Should sound familiar a bit from our call to worship this morning. Psalm 95, verses 1 through 11, which can be found on page 482 in the Pew Bibles or 933 in the large print Pew Bibles. Psalm 95, verses 1 through 11. Before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made. God, we pray that this day, that we would um, be people who are trusting in you. God, that you would call to mind who you are, the ways that you have worked in the past in the world and in the past in our own lives. God, that today we would remember who you are and that we would live in relationship with you in all that we do today. And God, we pray that as we hear your word read and proclaimed this morning that you would, by your word and by your spirit, change us evermore from the inside out into the people that you have created us to be in relationship with you. Through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Psalm 95, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did at that day at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me and they tried me, though they had seen what I did. For forty years I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Turning then to Matthew chapter 24. Jesus answering the question asked by his disciples of when some of the things he'd talked about earlier would happen, what would be the sign of his coming, the end of the age. Matthew 24, starting in verse 4, Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. But see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. And then we are looking this morning, more specifically at Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 19. Page 969 
1863 in the large print pew Bibles. Hebrews 3, 7, uh, yeah, 7 through 19. Before we read it, let me remind you where we are. Uh, where we are in the book of Hebrews, where we are as a church looking at the book of Hebrews. We've been going through this, um, this book in order. So by way of reminder, the book of Hebrews is in the New Testament. Even though it's called Hebrews, it sounds like it might be an Old Testament book. It's in the New Testament. It's written to Christians, but those who are Hebrews. The Jewish people who are followers of Jesus. But it's written at a time when times have gotten tough. And so, uh, here they are, following Jesus as uh, Jewish believers in the Messiah who has come. But they're finding that even though the, you know, the Roman government and even other uh, Jews have been just fine with them being Jewish, they really have a problem with this Jesus part of it. And so they're being tempted to just say, you know what? Why don't we just leave the Jesus part out of it? We'll just continue being Jewish. It's you know, the same God after all. And so we will just um, continue the practices we'd had before. We will continue going to the temple and having the high priest offer the sacrifices for us. That system has worked fine for our ancestors. I'm sure it would be just fine for us as well. And we will just let Jesus go. And so this writer to these Hebrew Christians says, absolutely not. No matter how much you may be tempted to let Jesus go, I want to show you why that would be a huge mistake. And so goes through in this letter of contrasting Jesus with everything else they might be tempted to uh, put their hope in and their trust in and be practicing as a part of their life and faith and belief. And shows that through all of it, Jesus is better. He's the better high priest. He's the better sacrifice. He's the better temple. He's the better everything. And so we've been seeing that in chapters 1, 2, and 3 so far. And if you have missed that, you can go back and, uh, and read those chapters. And you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. And then, uh, and then we get to this part. Let me just give one more quick illustration. Um, I heard of somebody who went skydiving one time. I have never done such a thing. That has never appealed to me. Maybe that's different for you. But for me, that I don't see the point in jumping out of a perfectly good airplane. But, but for some people, this is, a, this is some, what they want to do. And I heard this one person say they, uh, they went to go get their training. You know, you've got to be trained before you just jump out of an airplane like that. And um, but they said what they did is they didn't have the kind of training where you actually go with somebody or where, you, uh, <laughs> or where they teach you in person. It was a discount place, and they put them in a shed and said, watch this VHS tape, <laughs> and you'll be ready to go. <laughs> Does not instill a lot of confidence, I'm sure. But um, anyway, can you imagine... Jumping out of the airplane, you have the parachute on your back, and, uh, and somebody is falling down next to you, and they're like, 
pull the ripcord. And you say, no, 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 I'm okay. I will just flap my arms, and I'm sure I will go down slower, and that'll be fine. Of course not. That'd be ridiculous. And so we see all throughout the Bible, you know, we do not save ourselves through any of our own effort. That would be like trying to flap your arms in, um, in midair instead of trusting the parachute, pulling the ripcord, putting your faith in that. But what's happening with the Hebrews here would be more like somebody who'd watched that videotape and said, you know, that videotape was showing me everything I needed to know so I could fully trust in this parachute when I jump. But instead of saying, I'm going to trust in the parachute, it would be like taking that VHS tape. I don't know if anybody here even still knows what a VHS tape is. It would be like taking that tape. It's, it's like a DVD, but worse. Um, It would be like taking that VHS tape with you as you go and you jump out of the airplane and you have the parachute on your back and somebody is standing next to you saying, pull the ripcord. And you're like, no, 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 I've got the tape. I'm good. (laughs) That's what these Hebrew Christians were doing. They were saying, even though everything in the Old Testament has been pointing us to Jesus so that we would put all of our trust and faith and hope in him, there's there's no salvation anywhere else, as Peter reminds us in Acts chapter 4. Salvation is found in no one else. As Peter said to Jesus himself, you know, where else would we go besides to you, Jesus? You alone have the words of life. And yet, they're wanting to put him aside and just trust in everything that was pointing to him, saying, trust in him. So that's where we find ourselves uh, this morning, looking at this letter. And here we have uh, what is titled in... uh, titled in the NIV section as Warning Against Unbelief. So hear now this warning. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 19. So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray. And they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Some of that should sound a little familiar again as he's quoting from Psalm 95. But here we have a warning. A warning that is uh, going to be quite familiar to these Hebrew Christians because they know their history. They know what's happened to their forefathers, to their ancestors. And, um, and this calls to mind the time where God had already brought them out of Egypt 
And they have seen the miracles that he performed not only to bring them out of Egypt, out of slavery, but even to sustain them in the desert. And yet, it says, though they continued to see what God has done, they still hardened their hearts. They did not trust in him. When it came time to go into the promised land, the land that God had promised the people, they have seen the way that he can work in mighty ways. And they send 12 people into the land that God is going to give them. And they come back, and two of them say, Joshua and Caleb, two of them say, this land is amazing. You guys, you're going to love this. God has brought us to this wonderful place. All we need to do is trust him and go in. He's giving this to us. The other ten, the other ten say, guys, the land is great, but there are some huge people there. There are some people that this is, that will be really difficult. In fact, I don't think we can take it. I think if we go in there, we're going to be killed. And so let's not go in at all. So what's happened? We have a people who have seen God do amazing things. Not only throughout history, through the creation, not only through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that they had heard about from their parents and grandparents, but they've seen it in their own lives. They've seen the way that God has worked in their own lives and in the lives of their neighbors and families as he has brought them out of Egypt and as he has sustained their life in the desert when they didn't think there was any water, when they didn't think there was any food, and they complained against God the whole way. And now he says, here's the land that I'm giving you. And they say, we don't believe you. That's really what it comes down to. We don't believe you, therefore, we're not going to do what you've said. You see how many times in, in this particular section that sin is combined with unbelief. Do not have a sinful, unbelieving heart. Um, those, their hearts are always going astray. They have not known my ways. And he says at the end, um, those who disobeyed, so we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. A lot of times we look at sin as an action. You're doing something wrong. Shame on you. But what's really going on is people are living in light of it, as though God doesn't exist. That he's not who he says he is. That he's not going to do what he said he's going to do. And when we live like that, the natural way of life is a way of sin. When we find other things that we have to trust in, either we have to trust in ourselves, or we have to trust in somebody else, or we have to trust in something else for our meaning and our hope and our security, for our purpose. And when we do that, that is referred to as either idolatry, biblically, or as sin. Those are the things that will naturally come from that way of life. But, but, even though he gives us this example he doesn't give us this example so that we go, oh, well, those, those guys messed that up and too bad for them. But this is a warning for us. Don't live like that. But there is another way. There is another way. It says, don't um, see to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. 
We have come to share in Christ. We are those who have, have heard the message of the gospel that we are not accepted by God because of anything we do, because of what he has done for us in Jesus. It's one of the reasons why we have uh, gone a year ago to having the Lord's Supper more often. We have now twice a month because we never want to get too far away from remembering that it's not about what we do, it's about what he has done for us in Jesus. But we also have to remember that we are, we are weak, that we are forgetful. We all, like sheep, not only have gone astray, but we all have the tendency to continue to go astray. And so we need each other. This is why it says to encourage one another daily. By the way, this encouragement is an encouragement, not just a, hey, you're looking good today kind of thing. (laughs) It's an encouragement to continue in the faith, to continue trusting in Jesus, to continue living your life in that trust of him in relationship with God through Jesus. Now, we have to be very careful here. I'm sure the Pharisees back, uh, back in New Testament times would have said that all they were doing was encouraging other people to be more faithful to God as they kind of spied out to see if anybody was violating one of the commandments so they could jump all over them. That is not what's being uh, talked about here. We are not to watch over each other in such a way that we can come down on anybody who gets some, some little thing wrong. We're not to be those, like Jesus said, you know, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. As we are to encourage one another, this is one of those one another things. I do for you, you do for me, we all do for each other. We encourage one another daily to keep on, keeping on in the faith to keep trusting in God. And so we look at our own lives first, daily. Am I living today? Not did I live yesterday, or do I plan to live tomorrow, but am I living today in a relationship with God through Jesus? If not today, why not? What else am I trusting in today besides the living God? Do not turn away. I have a confession to make. Uh, yesterday was a very long day. I'm going to give you an example, negative example, something from my life that you should not do. Yesterday was a very long day. We had a cross-country meet in San Angelo in the morning and then down to Del Rio in the afternoon where I was uh, speaking at a church, uh, Presbyterian church down there, and then coming back late last night and still had some things to get ready for this morning. So by the time my alarm went off this morning, I didn't feel like getting out of bed at all. So I went for the good old snooze button. And then it went off again. And I hit it again. But I, but I told uh, Diana when it went off, you know, or that second time, I said, this is the last time I'm going to push the snooze button. So she comes in about 20 minutes later. I'm still in bed. <laughs> and she wakes me up and says, hey, I thought you said last time was going to be the last time you hit the snooze button. Oh, it was. The next time it went off, I just turned off the alarm altogether. (laughs) 
This is not an example to be followed. <laughs> this is actually the exact kind of thing that uh, the author of the Hebrews is warning us against when it relates to the hardening of our hearts. As I'm hitting that snooze button over and over, I'm lying to myself. The next time it goes off, I'll feel like getting up. No, I won't. I felt less like getting up every time it went off. And the same thing happens when we begin a life of uh, turning away from the living God, the one who gives us life and the one who gives us salvation. As we turn away from him, we start trusting in other things. We lie to ourselves. That's what it talks about, the deceitfulness of sin. And we start thinking, ah, tomorrow I'll start living with God. But today I will eat, drink, and be merry. And every time we hit that snooze button, Every time we promise to love God tomorrow, but not today, we are continually hardening our hearts away from the living God. We are finding other things to trust in. And this is what we are to encourage each other not to do. To encourage each other every day. As long as it is called today. Today is the only day we have. Tomorrow, we may get there. We may not. Yesterday, Nothing we can do about that now. But we have today. There's, uh, I heard a preacher years and years ago say, uh, you know, if you want to know how long God trusts us not to backslide, open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. <laughs> today. Today. Encourage each other today. And understanding that we all need it. It's not that one of us has been appointed as the encourager for everybody else because, hey, I've got it all right. No, we all need this because we are all tempted to be deceived by sin, to turn away from the living God, to harden our hearts, and to walk, um, to walk a very dangerous path. This is really... This is really part one. The sermon to be continued next week as we get into Hebrews chapter 4. It all goes together. But we may not get there. But we have today. So let me encourage you today to examine where you are. Your relationship with God. Are you trusting in Jesus? Is there something else you're trusting in? And are you living today in relationship with God? so that it affects the way that you live in everything that you do today. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.